this evening in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Brethren, let us hear the word of God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entereth into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word to our hearts. <clears throat> Brethren, the Apostle John tells us that men loved darkness rather than light. Why is this? How is it that those created in the image of God actually love the opposite of their Creator? The answer is found in the term radical depravity. <clears throat> in our last study, we defined this term and we discovered that the term radical comes from the Latin radix, which means root. Now, we considered the important difference between the terms total depravity and utter depravity. Utter depravity would mean that man is always as wicked in thought, word, and deed as he can possibly be. We know by experience, and we know by the Word of God, that that simply isn't uh, the truth. So we don't believe in utter depravity. But, unfortunately, there are those who do not agree with our position regarding grace, and they confuse our understanding of total depravity with utter depravity. So we've concluded that radical depravity is a more accurate term. It is one that speaks more clearly to the issue. Radical depravity. <clears throat> Now, the Bible teaches us that sin has pervaded, then, every part of man, 
and has permeated every aspect of his being. This is what we mean by radical depravity. Sin stains, sin contaminates everything that he does. Now we finally considered um, the biblical testimony of radical depravity, and of course even then that was selective. We could not have gone through all of the passages that deal with man's depraved condition. <clears throat> so in this study, we take up uh, the doctrine that goes along with what we call radical depravity, and that is original sin. The doctrine of original sin. By God's grace, uh, I hope that we will open this up under these two heads. First of all, the meaning of original sin. And then secondly, the biblical testimony of original sin. Same structure that we had last week. <clears throat> I think it would take a remarkably gifted man to uh, open up this very deep, this very complex issue uh, in 45 minutes and do it justice. I'm not sure uh, that I've heard uh, that preacher yet. So I certainly uh, make no claims to be able to... Uh, do anything more than prod you to consider this very important subject as we come to it tonight. Um, I do not have all of the answers to the questions that uh, arise when we begin to study this very um, difficult issue. Uh, as a matter of fact, as we go through it, it will, I trust, answer some questions that you have, but it will likely, if you're not drifting and sitting there thinking with me, uh, raise some more, which I will probably not answer this evening. It's not my purpose to give an exhaustive study of this, this complex issue. As a matter of fact, those within the professing Reformed bodies of Christ have very uh, different views among themselves regarding this. So consider that even within our own heritage, um, uh, there, would, uh, there is a great diversity of opinion on this, then I uh, can only give us something of a bird's eye view this evening. Nevertheless, with all of those uh, caveats, all of those footnotes, uh, we can see the heart of the doctrine in the passages in which we will look to this evening. So let's take up then the, the meaning of original sin. <clears throat> now, as with many theological terms, original sin is not found in the Bible. And of course, those who don't like the doctrine, uh, immediately start with that argument. Oh, you can't find that term anywhere in the Bible. Well, that's fine. That's true. You can't find that term. But there, as we have said many times, there are many, many uh, theological truths, many doctrines in Scripture, which we describe with terms that are not in the Bible. Uh, those who don't like the, the doctrine of the Trinity always begin by saying, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Well, neither is the word millennium. Uh, and there are many others of that same sort. But we see truths in Scripture, and as we attempt to define them, as we attempt to describe what we see, we very often use terms that convey to us, hopefully, what it is that we're seeing there. Unfortunately, original sin is not one of the clearest of terms 
that has been used. Very often the terms that we use in our day, uh, due to the change in, in our language over the years, sometimes don't convey to us as clearly uh, as they did when they were originally coined. That total depravity is an excellent example of it. While total depravity in the day that it was used uh, clearly uh, represented uh, what was being said over the years, uh, we have come to, to believe that uh, words like radical more aptly convey what we were saying. It doesn't mean that the original term was wrong. It's just that perhaps it isn't as clear for us today. And, and I would say the same thing with original sin. <clears throat> when we say original sin, we do not mean the first sin committed. We're not saying the original sin. <clears throat> and that's why that can be something of a confusing term. People go, original sin? Okay, what are we talking about? Well, uh, I guess we go back to the original. And, uh, and while that appears to be the case, that isn't what we mean by it at all. Original sin is ultimately is we're not referring to the first sin committed. We are referring to the, the the corrupt and sinful condition of man because of the first sin. We're talking about the sinful condition in which we live because of Adam's rebellion. Now, if we want a strict definition, original sin is the hereditary corruption that passes from generation to generation because of Adam's sin. The hereditary condition, the hereditary corruption that passes from generation to generation because of Adam's sin. Adam was the father of the human race. When he committed the first sin, he was separated spiritually from God. We call that death. He spiritually died and then later physically died. One was included in the other. But our spiritual death is what came first. Now, <clears throat> that darkened sinful nature, that separated nature is what Adam has passed on to every one of his descendants. And this is why men loved darkness rather than light. If men were by nature good, then ultimately we would have to agree with the humanists that the only reason they ever do anything wrong is because they're taught to do wrong. They pick it up from someone else's bad actions. But if we observe history carefully, and if we look at, not, at life all around us, we begin to recognize that you don't need to teach children to sin, do you? You don't need to teach them to lie. They, they lie of their own accord. They don't have to go sit in a class lying 101. It, it, it doesn't happen. How is it that as soon as they learn to speak, one of the, the first sad things that a parent discovers is that they will tell you a lie, looking you right in the face and smiling. Why is that? Well, it is because they are born sinners. Men do not become sinners because they sin. They sin because 
they are sinners. And this is ultimately what we mean when we talk about original sin. We sin and we are corrupt because Adam has passed to all of his descendants a sinful and corrupt nature. Original sin is the root of all our actual sins. We sin because we're sinners. We are descendants of sinful Adam. Now, let's consider then the biblical testimony of original sin. And and quite obviously, the the clearest passage uh, in all of Scripture regarding that is the one which we began with this evening. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. There are many wonderful expositions of this portion of uh, John's, uh, of uh, Paul's epistle. But I would say to you, you must be very, very careful and discriminating in your reading. This is a doctrine that is so hated that the most brilliant of men will do everything they can to talk around what this passage is saying. And uh, if you simply spend much time reading the, the theology books and and uh, many of the, the expositions, you will find that page upon page upon page uh, will be spent uh, explaining all the different views of what's being said here. It is admittedly a difficult passage. However, <clears throat> there are some things that I think we can't miss. And I just want to look at a few of those this evening. Now, verse 12 begins by saying, Wherefore, which connects us to what Paul has already said. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And then Paul stops. He doesn't actually finish his thought. He says, And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. And then he begins to explain. It it is almost, if you read this carefully, if you read it over and over and over, you can almost hear Paul starting into his thought and then being caught up with what he's he's saying. He stops and he gives us an explanation. It's as if it brings to his mind uh, something that he believes so important he needs to stop and expound on just a little bit. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. And then he goes on and explains this issue of death reigning from Adam to Moses. Well, let's stop here for a moment and look at what is, uh, for our purposes this evening... Uh, the most important of the clauses. And it begins with, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Here we have how sin entered. It was by one man. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. The horror of death came into the world because of the entrance by one man. The entrance of sin. 
And that one man is Adam. He doesn't say it here, but a little further in the passage, we understand that. Now, the next thing we want to notice, again, for our purposes this evening, is the last clause. For that all have sinned. For that all have sinned. Sin entered into the world by one man. Death followed on the heels of that. And it passed upon all men for... The for that means because. For that. Because all have sinned. All have sinned. Now, if, if you're not careful, you can read right over that and, and miss the import. It's a, it's a very important thing for us as we study the Scriptures to take note of little things like verb tenses. And uh, this is one of the reasons Satan loves for us to doze away during grammar in school. Uh, he wants us to be utterly bored with the concept of language. Why? <laughs> because if you don't understand past, present, and future, you're not going to understand very often what's being said to you or the import. Here something is being said, and literally, from the Greek, <clears throat> what's being said here is for, for that all sinned. All sinned. Death passed upon all men because all sinned. Past tense. Well, why is that important? Well, how is it that death passed upon humankind when all humankind wasn't there yet? How, how is it that death passed upon all men when they haven't personally sinned yet? Even when this was written, we weren't here. But it says, all sinned. When did all men sin? Past tense. Very important. And it's right here for us. Death passed upon all men because all sinned. One man sinned and death entered. Death passed upon all because all sinned. There's a, a, a unique relationship here between one man and all men. One man's sin and every man's sin. I don't want to lose anybody here. Okay. Good. Let's, let's take a little bit more then. Paul's intention seems very clear. <clears throat> you will notice, Father Adam is the father of the human race. He sinned, and then it is said that all men sinned. Then we have five declarations about this one man and his sin. Let's look. Verse 15, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For, if through the offense of one, if through the offense of one many be dead, not just that many will die. It's the same thing there in verse 12. It doesn't say death came because all will sin. It doesn't say because all men are sinning. 
It says they all sinned, past tense. Same thing here. We've got, <clears throat> if through the offense of one, this one man, many be dead. There's the relationship of all with the one. Verse 16, For the judgment was by one to condemnation. Condemnation comes upon all men because of one. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Same thing. Therefore, as by the offense of one. Uh, verse 18. Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Then verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. That's powerful. The word made here does not mean make in the sense of creation. Made here means constituted. In the way that we might say, well, we took a vote and we made Jack president. Right? We didn't create him president. We constituted him president. And so it is the very same thing. Men have become sinners. They are charged with sin. They are guilty of sin because of one man. As by one man, sin entered into the world, verse 12, for that all sinned, because all sinned. Brethren, what we're talking about is clearly something representative. And this is one of the doctrines that men hate the most, if they're fleshly, when they come to understand what's being said. All men are guilty because of Adam's sin. And they are sinners because our head, our father, sinned. Many a theologian in his day, continuing up to the present, will say, None of this is fair. This isn't right. How can I be considered sinful because of him? Well, there's two ways that Adam's sin affects us, and we want to consider that for just a few moments. There would be what we might call the natural effect that it has upon us, and that which we would uh, call the federal effect. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 9 says to us, And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. All right, did, you, did you note that? Yes. Levi, Levi paid tithes in Abraham. Now Levi was centuries down the road. But he paid tithes in his father, Abraham. 
And this is what we call, if you like theological terminology, this is often referred to as the seminal, the seminal view. And there's some, there is a truth here. There is a truth because uh, uh, I think it represents part of the truth. It's not all of the truth and for several reasons, but uh, we won't go into all of those this evening. But taken in this way, when we see Adam as the root of the human race, we realize that Adam, in his sin, was the totality of all of mankind. We're all here because of Adam. And our father, our human father, sinned and passed on to us his guilt. Now, <clears throat> this is actually set forth in our confession. The Second London Confession says this, Our first parents, by this sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. They being the root. Now that's the idea, right there. They being the root. Adam is the root of our sin. And by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupt nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation being now conceived in sin. What did David say in Psalm 51, verse 5? In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not putting the blame on someone else. There are those who think that that's the meaning of, of David's words, but he's saying, no, I did what I did, not putting the blame on someone else, I did what I did because I understand my nature. This is what he's saying. In sin did my mother conceive me. I did what I did because it came naturally to me. This is what I am. Apart from the mercy and the grace of my God. Now, of course, the, the, the usual question that comes along is, well, how did that get passed along? I don't know. And no theologian on the planet that I've ever read knows. But brethren, as birds give birth to birds and cows give birth to cows, sinful man has given birth to sinful men. Amen. This, is a, this is a challenging doctrine and one that throughout the ages men have jettisoned, but then they ultimately have no explanation for why men continue in their sins. But if we, if we understand what Paul is, is pointing to here, all men sinned when Adam sinned, we see something of this issue. It tells us, being now conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin and the subjects of death and all of their miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. I'm glad they put that in there. Then finally they say, from this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, 
and wholly inclined to all evil do proceed all actual transgressions. Now you understand, they chose their words carefully. Wholly inclined. It doesn't mean that you and I always or ever are as sinful as we can be. But it does point exactly to the root of why we are as sinful as we are. And that we are wholly inclined to that which is evil. You lie because it's in your nature to lie. You sin. You, you uh, uh, covet. Uh, you murder. We, we commit immoralities because we are inclined to all evil. And while you may not be inclined to the same evil to which I have uh, my own weaknesses and, and cave in, we are all susceptible to all evil because of that nature. And were it not by the mercy and grace of God, the earth, uh, those the men that live on the earth would have destroyed themselves long ago. The world, we hear men from time to time say, well, the only hell is what's going on here on earth. Apart from the fact that biblically that's a lie, it is unfortunate that such a man that says a thing like that doesn't realize that if in the course of a day he has a smile from someone that cheers his day just a little bit, that is a mercy from God. As a sinner, he doesn't deserve the first kindness. He doesn't deserve to breathe anymore. He doesn't deserve to taste a wonderful meal. He doesn't deserve to smell a, a beautiful garden. He doesn't deserve to see the glories and the majesty of a sunrise and have his heart moved by the, 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 the majesty of what God's created. That is God's mercy and His restraining mercies that even keep us where we are. We are inclined wholly to evil. And brethren, you know, if God has opened your own heart, that there were many a time when you would have been twice as evil as you could have been if you could have. But something kept you up from it. Something held you back. You even planned something with some friends and it didn't work out. You had something set up for some time that you've been plotting and scheming and it didn't come to pass. And, and the Lord in His mercy even prevented you from that. Amen. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Why? Because in Adam we all sinned and we have been born in sin and iniquity. Well, I certainly agree that there is that natural idea. But there is the, also the federal, the representative view that Adam is our head federally. He represented us covenantally. And I think this view answers most of the questions. While it doesn't answer all of them, I think it answers some that the natural view cannot and I don't pit one against the others as some do. I see that there's truth in both. Now, <clears throat> brethren, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 50, verse 21. 
For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All right, there are two heads here. People say, I don't like that representative doctrine of, of, of Adam there in the garden. Friend, if you hate that, you have no gospel. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was the representative head of all his people. The very doctrine that you despise in your fall, you must likewise despise in the salvation of men. Because those who belong to Adam will die in their sins. Those who belong to Christ will live for eternity. I don't understand that doctrine. Brother, sister, you don't understand much of any doctrine in the Bible. And neither do I. There are the doctrines that are set forth. We see them. We study them. There are clear declarations of them. But brethren, if God gives you more and more light and fills you with His Spirit, two or three proof texts don't satisfy the questions that begin to arise. You realize that God is at work doing something extraordinary. And you see it, you hear it declared, and your heart bears witness. But you can't take it all in. You don't understand all of those things. You cannot throw out this representative idea of Adam and cleave to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's point. He's not arguing uh, against those, so to speak, that would disagree with his doctrine. He's just declaring the way it is. Adam represented all men. And when he sinned, when he reached forth his hand to take that fruit, it was as if I were there reaching for it and as if you were there reaching for it. And when he died in his trespasses, spiritually, or his trespass, I should say, he passed on to every one of his ancestors his separated condition from God. And that is why we sin. The corrupt state in which we live that we laid out passage after passage after passage last week. Every, every single uh, verse in Scripture that points to the sinfulness of man is rooted in its federal head, Adam. Original sin. We are corrupt because of his sin. All of our actual sins spring forth because we're his children. So in God's great mercies to us and in His wonderful kindness He has chosen a second Adam who did what the first Adam did not do. Where Adam disobeyed and plunged all his descendants into sin and to darkness, evil and wickedness. God in His mercy sent the second Adam to keep all the commandments of God. 
And when the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, made under the law, walked in His day, every moment in His thought, in His words, and in His deeds, He was representing every one of His children. And He kept every single law that we've never kept. And brethren upon the cross, He bore the punishment, He bore the wrath and the fury of all His Father's righteous indignation. Brethren, I, you, should have been stripped and humiliated publicly like He. This was the point. When the whips came down upon His back and plowed His back like a field and cut Him to pieces, that should have been, and it was judicially, my back and the back of His children. When the blows came from the, the, the fists and the palms of His tormentors, when they spit upon His face, and when they pressed the thorns in His brow, brethren, this is what God was manifesting to all the universe of His hatred for my sin and for the sins of every one of His children. And Christ was bearing it as their representative, as their federal head. And brethren, when they hung Him on those, those cruel spikes upon the cross and hung Him up in the air for all of His enemies to mock, we should have been hung naked in our agony and our filth and our corruptions and mocked. Do you hate that Adam plunged you into sin? Then I say to you, you cannot legitimately love the idea that Christ bore the sins of His people. There are doctrines that cannot be separated as far as I see Scripture. And it is the Scripture themselves, Paul, especially here in 1 Corinthians, that joins them. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ shall all be made alive. Oh, if you do not know this Christ, the one who stood in the place of all His people, I call you tonight on His behalf. Repent of your sins and flee to Him. Believe on Him and everlasting life. Why is any man saved? Because Christ was in His place. Why is any man a sinner? Because Adam walked in His place first. Thankfully, we can say at the close of this this evening, verse 21 of Romans 5, that as sin hath reigned unto death because of Adam's wretched sin, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In Him, brethren, we have life. May we believe unto everlasting life. Let's pray. Now, Father, difficult, 
challenging as such a doctrine is, we bow before Thee in holy awe and we bless Thee. And as we see our death and our corruption, all of our stinking aberrations in Adam, so we may look at Christ and see life. We might see ourselves living by faith in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. Make these truths real to our hearts. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.